0: Brian. Morning, Promise Tribe. Good to see you here. Thanks. Babe. I might need a chair occasionally. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's hard to believe that my my dad's already been in heaven for six days probably only feels like 6 minutes though huh <laughs> as much as the the grief is insanely real <laughs> heaven is so real to me Amen. and um I find myself um, half the time thinking, like, what is he doing right now? Who's he seeing? (sighs) I used to, I I like to listen to books, and I've listened to a lot on people that have been to heaven and their experiences. And um, there was a good one I just listened to called In Heaven by Dean Braxton, actually just recently, um, And then, you know, I love to have conversations with my dad, and I would tell him some stuff that people saw. I'm like, oh, this person said they saw this. And sometimes he would be like, you know, over the course of my my time with him, not right now, but he would say stuff like, he's like, oh wow, that that's cool, that's cool. And then sometimes I'd say, oh, this person said they saw this or this happened, and he'd be like, (laughs) He'd be like, Where is that in the scriptures? (laughs) He's like, show me that in the Bible. I'm like, Dad. Not everything's in the Bible, it's heaven, you know? And I'm like, really, they say the mountains are alive and they move and they bow, and he's like, you know? And so I just think to myself, I wish I could see him right now because I wonder if he's like, oh. They were right. Wow. (laughs) Like, you know, I just wonder how much he's up there going, no, really, that was like that, you know? And so I I'm find myself torn, obviously, between my own um, unimaginable loss. And thinking about how amazing it is for him. He had never had a vision of an angel. He'd never seen an angel. He'd never, like, he when Jesus called him to the ministry, he appeared to him all those years ago. But he'd never had more of those a lot of people have a lot of experiences like that in his life and he was the one that stood in faith you know and believed in faith and so to be able to see all of that must be so incredible and you know if you're new to church here if you this is your first service i apologize for the weightiness of this message or this uh sermon or if you call this a sermon um, uh, i just felt that it was important to take time today and share a little bit more about uh, apostle henry 's journey and and what happened and, and processing what we went through um, if you want to watch the full story on on the what happened to him medically then please go back and watch last week's announcement it's up on the website it's under i wrote, wrote there's an announcement so you can see it so you can um, know what happened i 'm not going to cover all that again i 'll just make mention to some of the things briefly Dad was diagnosed with um, on May 11th with pancreatic cancer. Um, one doctor gave him six weeks to live and one gave him three months. He didn't tell me about the one that gave him six weeks. He told me three months to six months, you know, and when, I remember sitting there when he told me that and I was like, what? How can somebody be dead in three months? <laughs> that thing is brutal. Um, on his last day on Monday morning... I had uh, called Justine. Justine, are you here? Hospice nurse. She's a hospice nurse, and so I, I was texting her because I, I like information. So I had Googled what are the like the last things to look for before somebody goes. You know, like what are the last things? What happens? The breathing. The the skin gets cold. The clammy, I I need to no, know, right? So I'm that kind of person. So I'd already Googled Doctor Google and me, um, and so. But I also told the Holy Spirit, I want to be with Him, like you know. So um, at 4:45 uh, in the morning, I woke up and and um, I was like, Do I need to go to the room? Because we had a caregiver in there with with them, and and five minutes later, the knock on the door and the caregiver. And I went in and and like as soon as I felt His hands and His arms, He was He was. Cold and he'd been so hot before, and his breathing was labored and anyway and I'd called Justine at about six thirty or seven, and I said, "You know these are the symptoms what, you know what to do next and um, the nice thing was if there is such a thing as a nice thing, but um right before he passed, he passed at eight twenty a m It was just my brother and Anya, his wife, and my husband Terry and I, and my mom in the room um Candace wasn't yet at work, and, uh, and Justine hadn't yet arrived. And when he took his last breaths, we were with him. And I thought to myself, as he took his last breath, he opened his eyes, and he no longer needed faith because his faith was standing in front of him. You know, even though death is so much a part of life, it's the thing that stirs probably the most emotions in us. Uh, the most questions, sometimes the most doubts. And there's so much mystery in life that we don't know about. And I'm sure if you've lost a loved one, maybe you have mystery regarding that. And I'm sorry if if I don't have answers for you. But there are some answers around my dad's. And so if I can bring some clarity for you in helps that would help you also have closure and understand um, what happened. My dad was a man of steady, stable, firm faith. He preached healing and he acted on it. Since I was a little kid, our church in South Africa, we had walls hanging in the church where whatever people had been healed from hung on the walls. Wheelchairs, crutches, eye patches, heart things, machines, it all hung on the walls because the miracles that we'd seen happen. We firmly believe the scriptures. Jesus came to save, heal, deliver, all of those things, and all of those things he saw. And we saw countless miracles, and we've seen miracles uh, since we've been here. And I know people think, well, why not him then? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in that order. He comes to steal what he can from you like a pickpocket. He'll take it from you. and You won't even notice it's gone until you go looking for it. But that was not his objective. His objective was not to steal that thing. That His objective was to destroy you. He'll steal something in hopes that he destroys you. He'll steal your job in hopes that you will turn against God and no longer come to church. That's the destroying He doesn't care about your job. He cares about what it destroys in the end. So he's stealing something from you and your focus is on it. And he's watching your reaction to it. He's watching how stable and how moved you are by what he stole so that he can destroy what he's after. And what he's after is always your faith in God. Do you see God as the good God? Is it always the good, the faithful God? Or did What he steal, destroy you. When you're serving God, when you're on fire for the Lord and you're doing what God's called you to do and you're sharing and you're proclaiming, then unfortunately you have a target on you and the enemy comes for you that much harder. He still comes for you regardless, but he will come after you more. He will send these little minions, these little demons after you to try and get you to stop whatever it is you're doing. And he will attack and he will look for an open door. And my dad was great about keeping the door shut, standing in faith, speaking life. But, you know, God says, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart nothing else is more important than protecting your heart he says because from it is the wellspring of life yet for many your heart is the first thing you give away so carelessly so frivolously oh that person i let them in they hurt me where were your boundaries where was your expectation where was your no my heart belongs to god And with it comes a protective gear case around it. With it comes boundaries of how you will treat me, of what I allow into my heart. Because what you do to my heart will forever affect my life. Some people let the cares and the concerns of the world so weigh them down they can't even pray. What is that affecting? That's not just affecting your mind. You've let it into your heart. And that is your wellspring. And see, the enemy knows that if he can't attack you the normal way, he can't get through your shield of faith, he will come the only way he can truly hurt you, and that is to attack your heart. And see, my mom was my dad's heart. When she got hit with the autoimmune in twenty. 18, uh, called myasthenia gravis, it a, a, affects the signals that the brain sends to the muscles causing weakness in the body, particularly around the, the lungs, the swallowing, um, obviously the extremities, anything tires you out very quickly. But it, it feels, even, so sometimes it feels like she's suffocating because the muscles around the, the lungs don't expand like they should. So it's not the lungs itself, it's the muscles. So even though the oxygen will look like it's normal, she feels inside like somebody's suffocating her, okay? It's a horrible thing. But in uh, 2019, she almost died multiple times. And if you were here with us, you remember that journey. And it's only because of my dad's faith that she's still here today. He pulled her back from the clutches of death so many times. And that's why she's still here today. But what he wasn't prepared for was the intense caregiving that would come after that because she was on a ventilator for 12 days. So after that, your body is incredibly weak. You know, she was in nursing homes in and out and then at home, and it requires 24-hour day care. And he was her primary caregiver and we've hired some caregivers to help, but it wasn't even a one person caregiving job. It requires two people. If you've ever tried to move somebody for the first year, she was mostly completely bedridden. Now we, she can get up and you can see we can maneuver and walk. It takes two of us to get her to the bathroom and back and different things. But. Um, and so we'd hired some night caregivers givers to help because at night you have to reposition her and change her and then watch her oxygen and her mask and help her if she feels like she's having an attack and sometimes he would get cold all through the night, wake him up in the middle of his sleep, come Jackie, feel she can't breathe or she's coughing or she's sneezing or this is happening and so it's constant and then him talking to her so many times because she'd be sitting there saying you know take me to the ER, take me to the ER, I can't breathe and You know, by that point, we have oxygen machines and we have all these things at the house. We realize that they've told us enough. We've been in the hospital enough to know that there's nothing they can do for her. It's a horrible place to be, but when you have to tell somebody, there's actually nothing they can do. We can do all they can do. Here's the oxygen. Here's the inhalia. And then my dad and I, whoever was there, we would just usually start to pray for her. Because in that moment, only the peace of God is going to stop the attack. But once you live like that, on the edge of that kind of anxiety day in and day out, it's incredibly tiring. And um, there were so many times, unfortunately, that caregivers wouldn't show up. Um, even on the Sunday night before uh, my, or the Saturday night before my dad passed away, my caregiver was supposed to be there at 6 p.m., calls me at 4 p.m., two hours before the night shift. I'm, I'm not feeling so good, I can't come in. So now I'm scrambling to find somebody in two hours that hasn't slept all day to come and do an awake shift. Or caregivers just wouldn't show up at 6 o'clock and tomorrow Sunday my dad has to preach. And so he's doing an all-nighter or my husband and I sometimes would leave dinner and we would go and we would sit there and sit with mom until 2 in the morning so dad could sleep. And then he'd get up at 2 in the morning and continue the shift and then come here and preach on Sunday morning. So this, this is an on, ongoing thing. I don't know how many people I've interviewed that come for a day of training and then not show up for the day or train them and not show up. And Yadira, my faithful caregiver here who's been with us for so long, she's been through so much of that with us. Honestly, it's sad people's work ethic. But um, it, it, it's an exhausting, tiring thing. And that's why in 2019, um, my dad started to hand over more and more of the ministry to me. I was already running s- certain departments, uh, already the dean of the Bible college over the young adults and the youth and all that kind of stuff. But then uh, he started handing over more and more because his time was focused on taking care of my mom. And uh, so he would preach and I would relieve preach him as well and took over the the worship. And, and so for the last number of years, I've already been running the ministry. As if you've been with us, you, you, you probably already know that. Um, and my dad... Uh, said to me, uh, as I said last year when I I walked in, he came into my office one day and he just said, I can't do this anymore. Unfortunately, with the MG and and just with mom's age comes certain memory issues and OCD. And um, it's quite grueling to face day after day. And he was tired as any person would be. I remember he told me one time it's been 1,785 days straight, no break, never a break, not one night, not one moment of not worrying about somebody else. You can't imagine that kind of tiredness. Um, And when he got the diagnosis, I was concerned because of how tired he was because he'd fought for so long he had no fight left in him. But I said to him, Dad, I have fight. I have faith. You have a tree of faith in your heart. You don't need to to do it. We'll stand for you. I'll I'll stand for you in both the natural and the spirit. My faith is strong. Within about three weeks of him finding out, um, he became completely jaundiced yellow. From his eyeballs to his skin yellow. Like you can't imagine that somebody could go so yellow. He became weak. He was throwing up, he was in excessive pain, his abdomen swelled because it was retaining fluid. He couldn't eat. He would give him a few pieces of mango and, and a bite of yogurt to get try and get a pill down, which would take him 10 minutes to try and swallow a pill. Um, it's, it's terrible pain. And and then I would, you know, be trying to medicate him to try and leave that. So half the time he's asleep or out of it severely. So it's not like you know, a normal sickness where you can feel like, oh, were you chatting up until the last minute he decided to leave? No, <laughs> most of the time I'm like, you know, what, what's, what's happening here? And when he had lucid moments, I'd be sitting talking to him like, what about this bill, dad? <laughs> Suddenly I'm, I'm running. I mean, I already know the ministry. I was already running everything, but I hadn't run his, all these personal household and all my mom's doctors and medical bills. And Yadira's going, this medication needs to be ordered. I'm like, how do we do that? She's like, here's, give me the phone. I'll do the app, you know. So thank goodness for people that were helping me. Um, but in these moments, I'd be like, dad, what is this? What on earth is a backflow test? And only, you know, if you have a house, you know what that is. But, like, I learned a lot of things very quickly. But um, things went from bad to worse exceptionally fast. There were so many things I didn't even know. I didn't know you could have anemia, be bleeding, and have a blood level of 4 and need 5 blood transfusions. Or that you could be um, have a blood sugar count of 419 and be practically comatose from that. Um, and these were all at the same time. <laughs> uh, so, you know... There were so many things that w- went so drastically wrong, and it's at the time in the in the in the fight, it's it's hard to make sense of things. But once you get to a certain place, and then you look back, and everybody starts to feed information to you of what they knew, it starts. You see the big picture. Um, so I'm I'm able to relay things now to you. Uh, when my brother, we were in the the first time we were in the hospital for 12 days. It was at the end of the the 12 days, and he. My brother told me this this last week, okay? We, he didn't tell me at the time, but he said he was sitting with Dad. I was preaching here on Sunday, that Sunday, and he said he was sitting with Dad, and Dad was kind of staring in the hospital, just staring off into the space, which he did quite a lot because he was conserving his energy. And he said, Dad, he's like, what are you thinking about? And my dad said, going home. And Haynes said, oh, going home to Mom? And my dad kept quiet. He said, and then Haynes said, oh, going to heaven. And my dad said, going to heaven. And so that's what he was already thinking about in the first stay. When I sat with Pastor Lindsay, they had come to visit Dad in between the hospital stays. And she said to me, when she saw him and spoke with him that time, she said she knew he was going. She said he knew he didn't want to stay and fight. And... um, I saw it too. I just refused to acknowledge it. There was a day when my dad, you know, he was just, he was, it was so incredibly weak. My husband, me, and the caregiver to trying to move him into the wheelchair to try and get him to the bathroom. And halfway through, he'd say, stop, stop, wait, 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 wait. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he was just, I, I think like, I think to back if you've had COVID, that, that really weak COVID, like times 10. You know, where you feel like I'm going to pass out, faint, die if I try and move, breathe, you know. Um, and the one night I could tell he was so weak. And, I, and he was like, I just, we were coming back from the bathroom. He's like, stop. He's like, I need, to, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I just had a feeling he was going to say what I didn't want him to say, you know. And I was like, Dad, I'll, I'll fight for you. I'll, I'll fight, Dad. Just don't give up. Don't give up, Dad. I said, you don't need to have faith. He's like, I don't know if I can go on like this. I said, you don't need to have faith. I, I have the faith. You don't need to have faith right now. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Why was I saying that? Because you can only stand in faith for someone when they want to live faith is an amazing thing when you stand in the gap for somebody else and jesus allows that you can pray for your kids you can pray for your spouse but if you're praying for your spouse to keep their job and your spouse secretly doesn't want that job anymore guess what (laughs) it's not going to work because you have to be in alignment with that person's will You have to know what that person wants, and then you have to stand with them in the gap. That's what it means. If a person is saying, hey, I'm so weak, I'm not feeling good, I can barely pray, and you say, I'll pray for you, I'll stand for you, and that person says, please, that means to stand in the gap for that person, and you can pray for them. But you cannot pray against somebody's will, that's called witchcraft. Even if you're saying that you're praying the scriptures, you can't pray against their will. God honors a person's will so much, he will let you go to hell for eternity because you choose to not have him. He will pursue you the whole time you're here on Earth up until that last moment, he will pursue you. But if you choose, no, he will honor your choice. And God does the same thing with his saints. He honors it the same way. You know, the Holy Spirit, he's such a guide and a comforter and a helper. And he'll lead you even when you don't want to hear what he has to say. Not sure if you've ever been there, but when he woke me up at 2.45 a.m. in the morning, that Monday night, that Tuesday morning, less than a week before my dad passed, I didn't want to hear what he had to say when he said Cindy dad wants to go home. And he's going. And you're going to regret this if you don't just be his daughter right now. When he said he's going, he wants to go and he's going. Whew. I did not take that well. I did not take that well. You know, you want to you want to scream and shout and and like you want you just want you're like, what can I do? Uh, no, I, I can still fight. But the Holy Spirit, He's such a, he's such a comforter. He's, he'll lead you and help you, and He'll tell you the things that are good for you, even if they don't feel good. Yeah. That morning when I went in to speak with my dad, and I just lay on the hospital bed, put my head on his chest, and I, I just loved on him and cried and, you know, said all the things like, how are we here? <laughs> and how is this happening? And, you know, um, but that's when he told me, I'm tired. I want to go. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is, you know, and I said, this isn't the journey we thought it was going to be. You know, that's the that other thing. You don't know. You, you're ready for the fight, but you're not quite sure how awful the fight is going to look in front of you. And I'm sure some of you have been through things in your life where you're like, man I, w- I didn't think the, the fight was going to look like that. I was prepared in my mind for one thing I wasn't prepared for this, and all of that was like my dad's worst nightmare being poked and prodded and and tubes coming out of him and, and everything else you can imagine it, it was just not it was just not what what he had in mind. but you know my brother when I spoke to my brother that day i I said to him because the Holy Spirit had told me had told me this, and it's like, okay, what's the confirmation? Well, I went in, got the confirmation from my dad, and then when I called my brother that day, as he was sobbing, he said to me, "You know, I haven't for one second not believed Dad was coming through this." And he said, "But the, yesterday and this morning today, he said I've had such a heaviness on my heart." And he said, "I had these thoughts come through my head. What are you going to say at his funeral?" And he was like, why am I thinking that? And he said, I had such sadness. I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. And he said, now you're telling me this. I said, hey, that's the Spirit of God warning you. It's the Spirit of God warning you. And I said, that's how, how, how beautiful the Holy Spirit is. Gosh, I wouldn't have believed that it would be less than a week and he would have been gone when he told me that. But like I said, the Holy Spirit will tell you what's good for you, even if it doesn't feel good. Just like you do with your kids, right? You're going to eat that broccoli or, you know, you're going you're gonna, to, I'm going to do this for you, but you, you don't like it. It doesn't feel good, but I'm telling you it's for your good. Because the Holy Spirit knew that I wouldn't have coped if I didn't get those moments to hold his hand and love on him and say all those things and have him say them back to me. Even though we had so much time together. <sighs> And if God, if God was going to do a mighty big show of kind of miracle on the morning when he passed, then the Holy Spirit would have told me, Cindy, hang on. I don't care what you see. Even if death stares you in the face, don't give up. And I wouldn't have. I would have been standing over his body calling him back. But the one who knows all, knew he was taking him, and he was okay with that, said to me, spend this time with him. He prepared me. He warned me. And about an hour after my dad paused, the most unusual, I wanted to say strange, but it wasn't strange. It was just the most unusual, amazing, beautiful piece settled on all of us in the house. Like the most deep peace I've ever felt in the depths of your deepest grief. (sighs) My cousin Craig, he walked into the house and he said, wow, there's such a peace in here. And I knew it was the spirit of God that gives peace beyond your understanding. It's being able to lay your understanding down that you can receive that peace. But in the midst of that, the peace, I realized how much anxiety and heaviness I was caring, caring for him, which was gone in a second, and not in a human way, it was in a, a spiritual way. And, and God's peace was so deep and so real, I can't even explain it. Um, And I pray that if you ever lose somebody that you know they're going to heaven, they've passed on, that you would experience that too. Because that is the hope we have. We grieve for our loss because I'm never going to get a hug again. But I will one day. Might be sooner than we think. (laughs) Depending on the presidency. Well, I had to lighten the mood a little <laughs> But um man, heaven is so real. God is so real. <clears throat> yeah, what Jesus did for us is so real. Man. Two days after he passed, um, I was finally at my back at, back at our house and had, a, had my first morning alone in the quiet with my Bible, my coffee, and a, three boxes of tissues. And Pastor Vicki Bentley called me, who's the senior pastor's wife from uh, Maranatha. And, you know, Ray Bentley, her husband, passed away quite suddenly. And we had actually met for coffee with my dad and her, I think it was the beginning of the year, actually. I can't remember, maybe the end of last year, beginning of this year. And so she called me um, to pay her condolences and to talk to me and encourage me. And and she, she said, I got this scripture this morning that the Lord gave me for you. And this is the scripture. It's John chapter 12 and verse 24. We'll put this up for you. And this is Jesus talking, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honour anyone who serves me. Before I go into this, this hit me. I mean, there's so much to this one scripture. But uh, before I go into, we know that Jesus is talking about himself going to die. That's what he's going. He's talking about him laying his life down. We understand that. But he uses the analogy of a seed. You know, I like information. I like to study things. And so I was like, what does that look like? And so I'm going to just read to you a little bit what I found, you know. So because I was like, does a seed really die before it grows into a plant? Is that what's happening? Does it actually die? But not not in the literal sense. It says every seed that you see on the ground is as alive as the tree or plant next to it. Seeds carry within them an embryo that is very much alive. That embryo, I think we have a picture of a seed, that embryo carries in it all the DNA, all the instructions it needs to become a plant that it's meant to be. Very much like a baby, right? It's this little seed, yet everything is already in it for what it needs to be. All the DNA, all everything, its future is already inside this little seed. The embryo is surrounded by nutrients that help the seed germinate. And then, of course, a hard shell that protects the embryo And together, the embryo, the nutrients, and the heart shall wait for just the right amount of water, soil, and heat to grow. The seed somehow knows the exact conditions the mature plant will need to grow. It says some seeds will lay in the ground for many, many years waiting for just the right sun, just the right amount of water to grow. So, does each seed literally die before it grows? Does the life of the seed die before it grows? No. the embryo remains very much alive but when it begins to grow the seed is no longer just a single seed the structure of the seed dies and in its place grows the plant it was meant to be the plant that in turn will eventually stretch up and bring the beauty and nourishment and produce yet more seeds. But the structure of the seed dies. So many times in life there's things that look a certain way and you're used to them looking a certain way, but God is like that vision you have, the way you're seeing that thing needs to die. So what's inside of it can be birthed. The new thing can be birthed. Don't focus on the seed itself. Focus on what's coming out of it. Jesus is obviously alluding to his impending death. We know that when he talks about this. But just like that seed, Jesus is telling himself, look, the conditions are right. The conditions are right. I will need to be broken open. Jesus is saying, I I will need to die as Jesus the man so that I can rise as Jesus the Savior. I must die. I must be broken open in order to fulfill my purpose. Jesus is not just speaking of his own death, about his breaking open. He's also telling us that, listen, there's going to be times where you need to be broken open in order for what's inside of you to come out because you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have an embryo inside of you that God has put inside of you that needs to be planted. That needs to be broken over in order for your purpose to come forth. Does this mean I have to suffer like Jesus? No. (laughs) No. But life is full of suffering and pain. As we are witnessing right now. But there's other pains. If you've ever suffered any kind of addiction, or if you know anybody who has, breaking out of that addiction oftentimes includes physical pain or emotional pain as you break free from either the substance or the behavior. There is pain involved in order for you to get free to live in the freedom and the life that God's purpose for you. If you've ever had to break free of an unhealthy relationship, there's pain involved before you get to live and walk out the healthy relationship. There's oftentimes pain involved. Jesus is saying to us, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You need to recognize that you're not just the seed, that there is an embryo, a purpose within you that sometimes requires a little discomfort to break into all that God's got for you and to also realize that just what you've always seen is not necessarily all you're meant to be. The first step and the step that you have to take every single day is laying down your life for Jesus. Dying to your selfish desires and choosing God's purpose for your life over your own. And that sometimes sounds like a horrible thing, but you know what? It's so amazing when you choose God's purpose for your life. It's saying, look, I'm not going to hold on to the idea of what I think my life should look like. Lord, I want what you've got for my life. I want to trust you with everything I've got. And realizing that there's total freedom, joy, and fulfillment when you do that. My dad laid down his life when he got saved. So radically saved and fell in love with Jesus. And he laid down his life for the Lord every day from then on. He gave everything he could. He loved with all of his heart. He loved everybody. When my brother told our gardener well my dad's gardener about my dad he cried and he said you know I came to work for your dad when my wife was pregnant his wife helps him in the yard and and he said your dad was forever giving us stuff and and money and this and that and coming out and talking to us and telling us about Jesus and he's like and he was crying and he said he's the nicest man I've ever worked for even my dad's death will be significant Because as that seed is buried, it's not just buried in the natural. God is saying, watch what trees will arise from it. For all the seeds that he planted in the spirit, watch the harvest that is about to come. Don't let his work have been in vain. People say, well, what about the prophecies? A personal prophecy is God's preferred plan for your life. God has the acceptable good and perfect will. That is his perfect will for your life. But he still leaves your will involved in you fulfilling that prophecy. Think about a a couple who get married and they get prophecies, prophetic words over their marriage. That's God's perfect will for that marriage. He's preferred plan. However, There's two human beings in a relationship who make mistakes, take advantage, don't treat each other right, destroy the marriage. They get divorced. Now what? Well, those prophecies can no longer come to pass. However, if you ask God for forgiveness and repent on your part and forgive that other person and you get married to somebody new, guess what? God's got all new prophecies for your life. He wasn't surprised by the ending. He wasn't surprised by your choice. He was always encouraging you, look at the perfect will. This is what your life could be. So, yes, there were prophetic words about my dad and us in the ministry. This dad saying, look, this is what it could be. But I'm not sure you're going to go through the hell you have to go through and not give up. And maybe his healing was two weeks or a month down the road. I don't know if he could have survived because of what they were doing to him, what it took, looked like to try and survive. It was hell. But you know, my dad was 72 years old. He lived a full life. It wasn't like he was 40 and this happened. He was 72. That's a, that's a full life. He completed his assignment. And only we look at death as so final God looks at death like, yay, finally you get to be with me. God is a jealous God. He is anxiously waiting the time when you get to be with him. When you close your eyes and you wake up on the other side, he is so excited. He's had to live without you for this time. He is jealous God. So when dad said, I want to go, God said, okay. That morning, um, Pastor Vicky called me, and I went to read that scripture for myself in the Bible. And I sat there as I was pondering it, as the Holy Spirit was just bringing so much to me about that scripture and Dad's life. I wrote next to it in my Bible the date he passed, seven seventeen. And as I looked at that, I went, "Holy Spirit, does that date have any significance?" Because in the, in the Bible, prophetic numbers, symbols, there's all this prophetic. And I said, oh, did dad just wait until Monday? Because I said to him, don't you die on Sunday, dad. I got to go and talk to the church. I don't want to get up there and tell them you died. They won't forgive me. I need, and I so, I mean, you think I'm kidding, but I was like, serious. And uh, I went home after that Sunday, and I, I sat by his bed, and I cried. And I said, dad, thank you. Thank you for holding on. You can go now. You can go now. And my mom said the same thing to him. You can go. We understand. We love you, but you can go. and We don't want you to suffer anymore. So you go and be with Jesus. And uh, I was out walking that morning. After I said that, I went to walk my dog. And as I was walking, the Holy Spirit brought up, go check your notes. And I um there was a, there's a prophet, there's many people that I follow and listen to, but this one particular prophet, I had taken a, a bunch of uh, his prophetic courses, and in one of them, he talks extensively about numbers and symbols in, in prophetic words and in the Bible. And I, I knew instantly when the Holy Spirit said, go check your notes, I knew what he was talking about. So I, I was out in the thing, and I immediately opened up my phone, and I scrolled down, and I looked at the dates, and I looked at the number. And the, this is what the number seven means, perfection, Completion, fullness of promise. And the number 17 means the elect of God. The elect means the chosen one of God. In God's eyes, his chosen one had completed and fulfilled his assignment. And now he sees the fullness of the promise. God knew the prophetic meaning would be important even to me, and He said He was well pleased, and even the date He didn't leave Him till Tuesday. He took Him. He wanted me to know God's elect, perfect, complete, the fullness of the promise. <clears throat> I won't be here next Sunday, um, as we have the service on Friday, I need some time, my humanity needs some time. So, I'll be back the next (coughs) Sunday, I've asked Pastor Darren, who's doing the, my dad's s- service to speak next Sunday, and then Pastor Brian will speak the following Sunday. Um, and I'll be back, and <clears throat> we'll be doing a, a vision casting Sunday on August 20th, where we have the board the board of directors coming in as well as the pastors, and uh, we'll be sharing what's what's been going on and um, the vision and all of that. I think it's important. And so there's a lot of exciting... Nothing is going to change. My dad and I were very close on on everything that was running at the promise. Holy Spirit is doing an amazing work here. And just like the devil thought, he thought he stole dad to destroy this work. Not so. God even chose the day he would take him to say, no, that's not the way it is. But I have a mandate to get as many people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the power and the wisdom and the knowledge that I can. And that is our mandate here at The Promise. We're a church on fire and we're not going to let anything put a damper on that. We can cry and we can grieve and joy comes in the morning. And it's okay to feel everything we're feeling in the same breath through my tears sometimes I just smile because I know he's in heaven and I I know what he's doing and I'm just so jealous <laughs> I'm just so jealous I just wish I could ask him like a million things <sighs> so uh, thank you for listening and I we won't be doing any more sad services so uh, please feel free to come back to the promise <laughs> You're like, man, that church is depressing. (laughs) Um, My mom is here on her birthday. I'm sure you want to pay your respects. I do still ask. You can hold her hand, but please try not to get too close. Her immune system is rock solid, strong as an ox, but uh, you know what I'm saying. Please be cautious, people with immune stuff. So um, we, you can hold her hand. We just, no, no hugging or, or kissing her face or getting close to her face, please. Um, but uh, she's here. My mom is so strong. Like the day of she wanted to go and be with Jesus. She tried all morning to, to die with him. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Like she tried for reals for like hours. And she told me, tell my, tell my spirit to go. I'm like, I, Elijah? Like, who am I? Like, she's like, tell my spirit to go. I'm like, since when do I have that kind of power? I was like, mom, you know, and after a few hours, it's like, it's, she, I was like, you're still here. It's not happening. It's, she's like, she had the blankets pulled up. She's like, nope, I'm still trying. am like, all right. That's like, that's the kind of love they shared. And so, but the next morning I walked in and she said, well, God didn't take me. I must still have work to do. She said, I still have people to, to sow into their lives. And the ladies that come over and visit, she's like, I still have to sow into people's lives. And I still have to share with them. And and she shares with everybody. You get close to her, she'll prophesy over you, you know, outcome faith. And so that's what she said. And she said, Dad would want us to, to go on and and to keep going and, you know. And that's as much cheeriness as I can handle for five minutes. And I got to walk out and be like, I'm not there, okay? Like, you can be there. I'm not there yet. So, but, uh, yeah, people like, how's your mom doing? I'm like, better than me, okay? Better than me. But uh, happy birthday, mom. Happy birthday from dad in heaven, too. We love you. Would you just close your eyes for me for a moment? If you're sitting here today and you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, If you're not 100% sure that if you were to close your eyes that you would wake up in heaven seeing Jesus face to face. Then you can get right with him right now. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus said it's by the confession of our sins. Realizing that we're a sinner and that we couldn't do it without him. That's how we know that he hears us. He's the one who saves us. And we can be with him for eternity so if you're uncertain just raise your hand right now thank you Jesus thank you Jesus all right thank you Lord we can go ahead and open our eyes I lost my ministry team to come forward if there's anybody that needs prayer for anything um, I'd like them just to be available just for a few minutes we won't keep them up here long so if you need anything come forward but otherwise Promise Church, thank you for coming out. Please come and support, come and and celebrate Dad's life on Friday, okay? Come and celebrate with us as we pay our respects to the greatest man. Thank you.